um, I was talking to Brother John even a few days ago, and I said, man, I, the Lord has laid two different trains of thought on my heart. Where do I go? What direction? I, and I was asking where, in his opinion, where's the church? What, what are your thoughts? And um, even today at lunch, had the same conversation with him. And uh, I went back to my room and I was praying and I will be as honest as I possibly can be. I'm a, I, that's a bothersome thing when preachers say that. They should always be honest. But uh, the Lord had settled in my heart the message for this evening. And um, I, I, I promise you this is not a fictional thing. Uh, we are Facebook friends, as your pastor mentioned. And uh, it was about a week ago he, he posted something with that song attached to it. And um, just this very afternoon, as I was praying, I said, God, I'm going to preach this specific message unless God's been good is in the service. I didn't say that to anybody. That's... That's a song that's very near and dear to my heart. I'd like to share with you in our time together tonight why that song is near and dear to my heart. I I um, had a message ready. I had a message prepared um, about two years ago. I, I'm not, I'll give the tip of the iceberg. About two years ago, God stirred in my life and in my family's life in an unsurmountable way. And it was... <laughs> well into my ministry, it was well into my adult life, I was 32 at that time, you can do the math, I'm 34, um, but I was 32 at the time, and God opened my eyes in a way as though he never had before of his goodness in my life. My life verse, you could turn there if you would like, it's 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 9. 1 Corinthians 9, 16. I bear in mind this is Paul who wrote this. And I remember reading this for the first time in my teen years. And this verse jumping off the page at me. And even then, not fully knowing the why. And, and the Lord knows my heart tonight. I would like to share with you, I have termed it this way, my testimony, but it's God's story. This is, this is not the story of John Oliar. I remember the first time this verse really leapt out at me, 1 Corinthians 9, 16, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. Paul writes these words, For necessity is laid upon me, yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. Paul writing this, saying, listen, I've been called to do this. God has placed a calling on my life to preach His Word, and the calling is so strong that I'm actually afraid if I don't answer this calling that God has placed on my life. My testimony starts with a young lady. Her name is Crystal. At birth, she was born with some severe heart defects. So severe that it entailed an immediate open heart surgery on a newborn. This was in the early 60s. They, they didn't have all of the tools and things that are available and readily available at hospitals today. The way the story has been told to me was the, through the chaos and the immediateness of this operation, the doctor actually taped a razor blade to his finger. And that is how he performed the surgery. In some regards, the surgery was a success. But because of the way the operation was done, it caused several other complications. The doctor said, we're hopeful that she will live to be possibly three. If she does live to three, there will have to be another surgery. If, if that surgery goes well, she'll definitely have more at nine and 12. And probably about every three years, your daughter will have to have surgery. Well, Crystal did have that surgery at 3, she had another surgery at 9, she had another surgery at 12, and she went into her teen years. Her family was faithful to church. Her, her dad was a deacon in the church, the song leader in the church. She 
had grown up in a Christian family. She trusted in Christ at a young age. And as teenagers do, she got her first job. Good old McDonald's. She began to work at McDonald's. And one day she was working the McDonald's drive through And a young man pulled up and was wowed by Crystal working at this drive through <laughs> He was so wowed that he didn't quite know what to say, so he took his burger and drove around to the speaker again and ordered another burger. By the time he got to the window to get his burger, he couldn't muster up the courage to say anything to her, so he drove around to the speaker again. On about his fourth or fifth, as they tell the story, trip to the window, he finally mustered up the courage to ask Crystal out on a date. This young man's name was Tom. Crystal said yes, but she began to explain, catch this now. I'm, I'm going to tell you the story the way it goes, teens. I'm sorry. Crystal said yes to the date, but there were rules that her Christian parents had in place. Now, she didn't share all the rules because that might have chased Tom away. So she said yes. Now, here's the first rule. How about our first date be to church? That's a good place for a first date. Tom grew up in a Catholic home, a Catholic church. He was sixth generation Catholic. I mean, and, and it was a real Catholic family. Like, not just we're Catholic because we say we're Catholic. We're Catholic because we go. Tom, at one point in his life, was an altar boy and all of the things that go with it. So he didn't quite know how he was going to explain to his parents that he wasn't going to mass on Sunday, but this was a really pretty girl. So he said, yeah, let's, what, what church, what time, she explained. Tom showed up at church for Crystal on Sunday. And it was at that moment, she was kind of waiting by the back doors. She decided to tell the rest of the rule. Hey, I hope you don't mind. Um, you know, and you kind of phrase it this way. I, um, I always sit in the row right in front of my mom and dad. Well, she had to because that was the rule. And so Tom, you know, he couldn't do the uh, trick or any of those things. He's sitting directly in front of Crystal's mom and dad. For the first time, Tom heard the gospel preached in a clear manner that he could understand. And Now, I, I wish I could tell you Tom got saved right away, but he didn't. However, in time of going to church and, and dating Crystal, Tom placed his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Eventually, Tom and Crystal got married. But because of her heart complications, Crystal could never have children. So they decided to adopt Now, they went, I love this part of the story. They went to the adoption agency. They were talking, newly married. What adoption agency should we go to? I don't know. I don't know either. I, Tom, now about three or four years into going to the Baptist church, Tom said, the only, the only adoption agency I know of is Catholic Charities. Let's go there. So they went to Catholic Charities and they filled out the paperwork. They're filling it out. They dropped it off the receptionist's desk. They turned and they were walking out the door and the receptionist said, wait one minute. They turned and they walked back and the receptionist said, is this true? What you wrote on this paper, is this true? <laughs> if you know anything about adoption, if you lie, you're out. Like there's no, and so they said, well, yeah, it's, it's true. We, everything we wrote on there is true. What part are you asking about? They said, right here, it says religion and you wrote Baptist. Is that true? And they said, well, yes. They said, Hold on one second. And the receptionist disappeared. She came back with the manager of the facility, and the manager said, would you mind stepping back to my office? And Tom and Crystal went back to the office, and they said, well, she explained, we have a boy here, and there's a stipulation on his adoption. This is Catholic Charities, and we've really never seen this before, but there's a stipulation for uh, this newborn baby. He must be adopted by a Baptist family. They took me home, but they hadn't done any of the things they needed to do. There's home studies, there's parenting classes, there's all these things. So they began to go to parenting classes and leave me with my grandparents. At parenting classes, all of the moms, future moms and dads were talking, oh, I can't wait, I don't know what my, our baby's going to look, oh, I don't know. And they just zipped their lip. They, they couldn't really tell, oh, we already have ours. Like, it, you don't, it doesn't work that way. I'm told that the very first place... Tom and Crystal took me was Tom's mom and dad. 
who were very staunch Catholic. In fact, the way the story has been told to me is when Tom and Crystal decided to get married, Tom's parents were so staunch Catholic, they kind of cut him out of the family. He was no longer part of the Catholic Church, therefore he's no longer part of the family. And they heard that, oh, well, they're going to adopt and just different things, but man, there was a wall up. I'm told the story, I, I don't remember. <laughs> they showed up at my grandparents' house. And my grandmother helped me for the first time. The story is said that there was, as newborns often do, a bit of a smile on my face. And in that smile, she would tell the story. In that smile, her heart melted. Their bond began to go back. They welcomed Tom back into the family. I just, last week, I was with my grandfather. He's 82 years old. I was helping to tell you, I'll get to this part of the story, but I was helping my grandmother with her computer in the back room, and my grandfather and my wife and my two kids were sitting in the main room, and I heard my grandfather telling this story. He said, oh, I'll never forget holding John for the first time. That changed everything for me. He, 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 my grandmother used to often say, John, I love all of our grandchildren, but the love I have for you is a special love because I choose to love you. <laughs> that, that'll preach a whole sermon in and of itself. But that began to mend the bond. In time, of course, growing up in that home, and I was three years old. Don't remember much about it. My mom, Crystal, went in for what they said would be the surgeries to end all of her surgeries. It was very experimental. It had never been performed before. It would correct all of the damage, uh, most of the damage, and, and let her live more of a normal life. I don't mean to be graphic, but the way it's explained to me, again, I was too young to remember any of this, but my mom's heart was more or less free-floating in her chest. It was not held in place. And so at the time of the surgery, I'm told that her, her heart was actually more in her throat and, and you could see it beating and, and it was just not something very appealing. And she went in for the surgery and the way I've heard the story said, they finished the surgery, they concluded it and they were stitching her up and her heart stopped. So they went back in, got her heart started again and as they were stitching her up, her heart stopped. And they did that one final time and on the third time she passed away there on the operating table. I was only three. I remember very few things about my mom. People ask often, do you remember her? I, I can vaguely remember what she looks like, but even that, a lot of that's based off of pictures that I have now. <laughs> really, the only time that stands out in my mind, understandably so, at three years old, was when I, one instance where I got in trouble, and I distinctly remember my mother saying, wait till your father gets home. That's, that's about all I can recall. But here we are, my father and myself. Now at this time, in order to make ends meet, my dad was working three jobs. He would drive the church bus on Sunday mornings. He stayed faithful to church. And in order for our home life to function, as he was working three jobs, I, I moved in with his mom and dad at three years old. I was living with my grandparents. Now bear this in mind just for a moment. I do say this, I, I promise you, and I'll get to it. I, I do have a sense of humor. I, I do have, I, this is completely and 100%, I genuinely feel the Lord's leading in this, and, and that's why I'm going this way. But here I am, three years old. I'm adopted. My mother had just passed away, and I'm living with my grandparents. I will own it right now, spoiled brat, through and through. I get it. I mean, no was not in my vocabulary. No didn't exist for me. And so I'm living with them. And then even then on the weekend, my dad would compensate because he didn't get to spend the week with me. So I remember going to church on Sunday mornings and we would have 
oatmeal cream pies for breakfast and the World's Fair donuts, those little, yeah, that was it. Why? Because that's what I wanted. And he's, it, was, it was great. I was living life, man. I remember years later asking my dad in my adulthood, I said, Dad, why, why did you stay faithful to the Baptist church? All your family went to the Catholic church. Crystal was your tie to the Baptist church. What was it? I mean, you could have gone with your family. I was already living with Graham and Pap. Like, I could have gone to church with them. We could have met there. What was it? I, I love his answer. I say it every time I have the opportunity to share my testimony. My dad was the only, one of the only CDL drivers in our church. And if he didn't go, that meant that bus didn't run. And he said to me, I, I, John, I was not going to be the reason that those boys and girls couldn't go to church. People talk often of the bus ministry, of how it reached children who are now adults, but it was the bus ministry that kept my dad right where he needed to be. In time, through church, my dad met another lady. They began to form a relationship. Eventually, they got married. I went from being that only child, spoiled, rotten, to now the youngest of four. And my world was rocked. I was now being told no. Uh, But in the midst of all of that, because I had lived with them for two and a half, almost three years, it was understood on Friday nights, I could go back over to my grandparents, spend the night Friday, part of the day Saturday. But I had to go home Saturday to be in church Sunday. Well, even at a young age, five, six, seven, What began in innocence, I quickly learned what I was doing. And I would go over to my grandparents on Friday night, and I would not paint a pretty picture of my new stepmom. I'll be honest, I painted her out to be the wicked witch of the West. I would tell my grandparents, I asked for, and it could be whatever, I asked for lucky charms when we were at the grocery store. And she said, are you ready? No. And my grandmother, bless her heart, like it was over. No. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want Lucky Charms right now? Mm Mm-hmm. I do. Let's go. Okay. And I I exaggerate. There was one such instance. It was about this time of year. School was getting ready to start. I went with my stepmom. It was just the two of us, for whatever reason, We went to a, uh, a store, and they had this binder. It was a Reebok binder. And it was had a schedule in it, a planner, everything, and it's right there, first thing on the display when you walk in. And I, I said, can I get that for school? And she said, John, we, we can't get that. And I said, but, but please, I think I was about going into third grade, and I said, please, I, I really want, John, we can't get that. But I really want, no, the, the store, I grew up in the Pittsburgh area, it was well known that it was called Hills. I said, but I really want it. She said, John, we're not getting it. And I said, okay, but you know, I, whatever. Well, that just so happened to be like on a Thursday. Yeah, you get it. You already got it. Friday, I went to my grandparents, and my grandmother said, school's getting ready to start. Is there anything you need? And I said, yeah, actually, yeah. Well, what? I was like, what? There's this binder at Hills that I really, okay. We went straight to Hills. We bought the binder. I took it home. And you know how it goes. I'm talking, I'm, I'm seven at this point, third grade. And it wasn't that I was smart enough to walk into my home like this. No, no, no. Like, even then they would say, what you got, John? No, no. At seven, I walked in the house like I was Rafiki from Lion King. John, what you got? Uh, The binder you wouldn't buy me. Right here? My grandmother, who loves me, she bought it. And the whole time, I'm just, I'm creating an atmosphere that was not healthy. I would do these things. But at the same time, listen, we're in church. At this point, my dad's a deacon. My stepmom is a Sunday school teacher. I knew what was right and I knew what was wrong. So at the same time, I would stir the pot when it came to my family and my stepmother. But at the same time, I would have bedtime prayers with my grandfather, right? Who's, who's Catholic through and through. My grandmother too. But I would have bedtime prayers specifically with my grandfather. I remember, And I would say, all right, Pat, seven, close your eyes. Now repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need Jesus to save me. Amen. I'm trying, if you will, to be a witness to my grandfather. 
and I'm also stirring controversy at the same time. Very young, very immature. <laughs> time goes on. And in one of these instances, my grandfather blows up. I mean, I said something about my stepmom. My grandfather just blew his lid. And mind you, he's not saved. He doesn't. He said, you know that stepmother, dear? She's nothing but a... And he just unloaded. I thought, I'm, I'm not trying to be worldly. I'm not, I literally, back then, I can remember, I thought, yeah, she is all those things. <laughs> yeah. She, but I didn't, you know, I kept it to myself. And I went home and... I remember me and one of my brothers at this point were sharing a room. We got in trouble. It's past bedtime. We're making noise. We're cutting up. We're, you know, and my mom, stepmom comes in and she yells. And for whatever reason, I was getting, you know, it always happens to you. I was getting in more trouble than he was. At least I felt that way. You got me. Yeah, I, you know. And so when she walked out, I made a mistake. And I said, you know what? I said this to my brother, you know what? My grandfather's right. And that's where I left it. Well, that's his real mom. And he said, what, uh, what do you mean? What would your grandfather say? I thought, oh boy. Well, uh, he, um, no, no, what would your grandfather say? Well, she, he said she's nothing. And I just unloaded. My brother all of a sudden was like, yeah, I got to go to the bathroom. And he walked out of the room. And I thought in that instance, he didn't go to the bathroom. In a few seconds, my stepmom, my dad walk in, a light goes on. When the light goes on past bedtime, you know something's wrong. The light goes on, and they said, John, we need to talk. And I, you know, I'm like, John, you're not asleep. I, well, I'm sleeping. What? I must have been talking in my sleep. I don't, I didn't, I don't. We had a conversation, and out of that came, you can no longer go to your, your grandparents on the weekends. Now, I was trying even then to weasel my way out of it. But I need to be a witness to them. I need to share the gospel with them. John, you had plenty of opportunities. To, oh, but, and so for a while, I was not allowed to go to my grandparents. That meant more time at home. Now, oh, this is where things get interesting. I told you I'm the youngest of four, raised the youngest of four. My sister's seven years older than me. Her name's Melissa. I have a brother who's five years older than me. I promise, no offense, promise it was Pennsylvania, not West Virginia. My older brother's name was John. My name's John. That was an interesting dynamic growing up. His name was actually Jonathan, but he went by John. Um, at 13, he was six foot five. So affectionately, he was big John. I was not big John. Um, I was little John. That has stuck still to this day. And then I had a brother three years older than me. His name was Kevin. So my sister, seven years old, she kind of did her own thing. My brothers, man, we fought like brothers would, like brothers should. We would wrestle. We would just have a good time. I remember one time John came. We had a playroom up on our third floor, and John, John came up. We're wrestling. He goes, punch me, punch me, punch me. I mean, he's twice my size. And I was probably, I was probably six, maybe seven at this point, which would make him 11 or 12. And so I punched him, and six-year-old me, like he jumped across our playroom and landed in this big bag of bean bags. Like he just, and he sat up. I'll never forget. Saying, Dude, you have superpowers. I'm six. I was like, I have superpowers. He said, here's what you do. Here, listen, listen, go downstairs, knock on Kevin's door and punch him and see how far he flies across the room. Kevin wasn't in on my secret that I had superpowers. So I go downstairs, knock on the door. Hey, Kevin opens. I was like, hey, Kevin. And Kevin doubled over. He looked at me and goes, I'm going to kill you. And I said, no, I, I got superpowers. I found out in, in like two minutes, I did not have superpowers. But that's just how we grew up. And I say that to say, listen, I ended up with absolutely, and this is one of the things most younger siblings will never admit, but almost every one of us, it's true. I ended up growing up to absolutely admire my older siblings. I looked up to them. I lived in their shadows, specifically one of my siblings, the one I was closer to age in, Kevin, man, I, he was my hero. And that's something you'd never say, but looking back, yeah, oh, very true. We began to go into our teen years. My sister, again, seven years older, a bit distant from me. 
John and Kevin, we were pretty close. And I began to watch as we went into our teen years that they began to make unwise decision after unwise decision. Uh, I, I won't delve all into it, but drugs became very prevalent. And in that, let me be honest and clear, my parents had no idea. I did, because they weren't afraid to do some of these things in front of me. And with that came the threats. If you ever tell, I'll kill you. And I say that, but when someone is not right in the head and they're looking, and you can see it in their eyes, there was a very real fear. I was 12, 13. I mean, I bought into it, hook, line, and sinker. And so, regrettably, for the longest time, I didn't say anything. And I watched as they began to just make these unwise decisions and go in a direction that they should have never gone in their life. It was about the same time uh, as they were going into youth that we held a youth conference at our church. My siblings were forced to go. My mom, uh, my stepmom and my dad, they said, we're going to go as workers, so John, you're going as well. Well, that didn't bother me much because we had gotten a new pastor when I was about seven or eight, and he had five children. Two of them had become my best friends, Samuel and Matthew. The pastor's sons, one was a few months older than me, one was a few months younger than me. We were inseparable. So the three of us, I can remember in our auditorium, we sat kind of to the... uh, would be your right side of the auditorium. We sat there. We had brought in a martial arts specialist to be the keynote speaker for that night. And I remember watching in awe. At 10 years old, you're seeing this guy do karate chops and kicks and all sorts of things in your church. You think it's pretty cool. I mean, you think it's cool even if it's not in your church. But what got me the most, and I'll never forget it, as close as I was to Samuel Matthew, that meant I, I had a little more of an inside track to their dad, our pastor, And at one point, this martial arts specialist stood right in the center of our church. And he had some guys bring out some cinder blocks. And he stacked cinder blocks up about between waist and chest high. And as he's talking, he's saying, you know, Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for the penalty of your sin. And it's your sin that would ultimately take you to hell. And as he's talking, he's pouring some kind of liquid all over these cinder blocks. I just remember that's kind of like 10. I'm thinking that's kind of weird. I don't, and, and I remember sitting in the second row and I thought I could smell it and thought that smells kind of funny and I don't understand. And then he got to a certain point. He said, you know, but for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And at that point he lit a match and he threw it at the cinder blocks. And this is kind of why I'll never forget it. At 10 years old, there's a burning pile of cinder blocks in our church. I, I don't know why, like I think one of the boys nudged me and we made eye contact with the pastor, their dad, and he didn't know that was actually going to happen. Imagine, pastor, if there's a fire in your auditorium. You, you kind of are a little alarmed at that, a little taken back. But I never knew this. I've, I've never even tried this since then. As he was quoting John 3.16, he said, For God so the world that gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him, And he pulled back and he broke through that stack of cinder blocks. Something pretty interesting. As the cinder blocks caved in on each other, it put the fire out. And he finished quoting John 3.16. And and I remember in that, realizing at 10 years old, my own personal need of a Savior. And this is something here, going back to the goodness of God. That was a youth rally that was not meant for me. I was 10 years old, not part of the youth group. I shouldn't have been there. But I should have been there because God knew where I needed to be and when I needed to be there. And that night... I place my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. A few years went by. Again, I was watching my siblings do some things. And I now today, my mother-in-law has a phrase that she uses often. and, And I love the phrase. You've probably heard it before. I don't think it's original with her. But the phrase is, you can learn something from everyone. You can learn what to do or you can learn what not to do. And I say this by the grace of God, as I watch my siblings make some unwise choices in their life, I was learning what not to do. I didn't have a huge desire to go do those things. I didn't want to follow that much in their footsteps. And it took Samuel and Matthew in my life who kept me in check. The Bible says, iron sharpeneth iron, and they kept me on the straight and narrow. 
was about this time that I was allowed to start going back to my grandparents again. And I'm going to be honest with you, I was really trying to be a witness to them. I was really trying to do my absolute best to share the gospel with them. And it was funny because I would get these weird say, oh, yeah, okay, John, all right. I was told that when my dad would try to have these conversations way back in the day, they would get angry, they would yell, there'd be fights. But with me, I'd bring it up and they would kind of do the pat me on the head. That's cute. Okay, we, we're done talking about it now. But they didn't get mad. So I kept bringing it up. They'd keep patting me on the head. Okay, all right. I tried, and I tried to no avail. When I was 16, I remember that was the age I was when I saw this verse. 1 Corinthians 9, 16. I remember going to a camp, and they were having a preacher boy night, and our pastor was there, and I said to our pastor, I'll never forget, I said, Pastor, I said, how do you know you're called to preach? He said, oh, that's easy. It's, I've never had anybody say that to me. So I was like, it's, oh, well, how do you know? And he said, you know you're called to preach when you can preach and do nothing else. That, that didn't make sense. I was 16. I said, I don't, I don't understand. So, but, so how do you know you're called? When you can preach and do nothing else. Yeah, but what does that mean? When you can preach and do nothing else, you know you're called to preach. I said, so should I do the preacher boy contest? He said, that's one way of finding out. So I remember doing the preacher boy contest. I... I I remember the first sermon I ever preached. Uh, it was from Paul, uh, Paul's model. I have kept the faith. I fought a good fight. I finished my course. It was, it was easy. It was already alliterated. It was great. I was done. Preached it. Got done. And I remember meeting with my pastor afterward. We prayed. We were getting, And I said, I, I genuinely think God is calling me to, to full-time service. I, I think God's calling me to preach. And at 16 years old, I settled that matter in my heart and in my life. Well, I graduated from high school at 17, went off to Bible college. It was within my first semester, I got a phone call from my grandmother. We still had pay phones in our dorms back then. I do know what those are. She called and she said, John, I need to talk to you. And I said, Grandma, what's, what's going on? And she said, the doctors have just found that I have cancer. I don't have very long to live. I just thought I needed to call you and tell you. And I talked to her. I was not a mama's boy growing up. I was definitely a grandmama's boy. And that, that struck me hard when she called me and she told me that I could still remember where I was. I, I was sitting there and, and it's dorm life. There's people all around and I kind of tried to get their attention to get them to quiet down and I said, Grandma, I'm so sorry. I, I'm sorry, I don't know. A few months prior to that phone call, we found out that my pastor, Samuel Matthews' dad, had cancer. He passed away, but man, he stayed faithful all the way to the end. And my grandmother said, John, can I ask you a question? And I said, sure. She said, what was it that kept your pastor who he was and what he was through his, through his heartache with cancer. I said to my grandma, I said, we've talked about this so many times. He knew where he was going. And, and she said, that's what I thought you were going to say. John, I want to know. John, how, how can I know for sure that I'm going to heaven when I die? And Man, I remember that phone conversation. I, I remember because it from, went from going to get everybody's attention in my dorm to now I had a room full of men surrounding me, praying for me while I'm on the phone with my grandmother. And she placed her faith and trust in Jesus Christ. She had a surgery. The surgery was unsuccessful. And to what the doctor said, she passed away just before Christmas. During Christmas break, I moved in with my grandfather. I thought, man, he's, he's got to be lonely. Me and him, we were super close. I thought, I'm going to move in with him. So I lived with him during Christmas break. So many times the opportunity came up where I thought, I need to share the gospel with him. I need to, I've done it before, but I, I got to be honest, even having known that God was calling me to, to preach, to share the gospel of Christ for the rest of my life, I couldn't do it. 
There was something in my way. Whether it was fear, whether it was, I don't know, but I can tell you this looking back, whatever it was, I had allowed Satan to get the victory. I packed up my car and it was time to go back to college and I got in my car, I was driving. I remember leaving Pennsylvania, I remember getting a little ways into West Virginia. I was listening to a CD in my car and the song came on, The Value of One. (laughs) And I remember listening to the idea of all heaven rejoicing over one sinner who comes to know Christ as a Savior. And in that moment, I thought to myself, all of heaven could be rejoicing right now because of my grandfather, but because of me standing in the way, they're not. And so I turned the car around. I was over an hour into my trip, and I drove back to my grandfather's house, and I remember my grandfather meeting me in the driveway. He had seen me pull in, and the way he is, he said, John, John, what'd you forget? What, what, did you do? what do I need to get? I'll go in the house. I'll get it. What do you? I said, Pap, I forgot something that's so important. I said, I- I've got to come in and get it. And we walked in the house together. I remember sitting on the recliner. He was sitting on the couch. And I said, Pap, I said, here's what I forgot. If you died today, do you know if you would go to heaven? I will never forget his response. He said, John, ever since that phone call your grandmother made to you, she would say almost daily, it's going to be okay. I I talked to John. He he showed me from the Bible how Christ could be my Savior. I know where I'm going when I die. He said, John, she would say that almost every day. When she passed away and you moved in here, I wanted to ask you so many times, how did she know? But I didn't know how to ask you. It was, as the Bible says, the fields are white unto harvest. There's people out there who are ready. My grandfather was one of those people, and I almost... Almost just let it go. I, I almost just let it go of my own grandfather. And I praise the Lord by the leading of the Holy Spirit, nothing of my own merit, that I turned that car around. And I led my grandfather to the Lord that day. I remember going back to, to school and going back, and I mean, I was excited. The possibilities, the potential of what God could do. I went home for summer break, moved in with my grandfather again. I would work during the day and every night, my grandfather and I would sit out on his porch swing. Man, the conversations we would have. We'd talk about anything and everything. I'm from Pittsburgh, so 90% of our conversation was about the Steelers. Not really. But I'll never forget, one night, my grandfather said, Hey, John, tell me about your stepmom's mom. See, she was a widow at this point. So, John, tell me about your stepmom's mom. And I remember sitting there, I remember sitting there on the swing with them. We're swinging back and forth. Tell me about your stepmom's mom. And I remember looking at him and going, No. No, John, there's something about her. Just tell me about... Uh-uh. We're like, you're my grandfather. I love you. We talk about everything and anything. I don't mind talking to you about girls, but you're not talking to me about girls. That's where I draw the line. At that moment, my dad and my stepmom were working at the same place. And before school starts, they would do an annual trip to Pittsburgh, and they would ride a boat through the rivers down there. And the way that worked was each one of them were allowed to invite a guest to go along with them on the trip. And one day I went to my parents' house. I was there for dinner or lunch, something, and just sitting there hanging out. And my dad said, hey, you know that, uh, that dinner cruise is coming up? And I said, yeah, yeah, how about that? He said, I think I'm going to invite Pat. I said, that'd be great. I mean, give him something to do. I, he's alone. I mean, we hang out every night, but that would be great. That'd be good deal. And my stepmom was in the kitchen, and she said, really? We haven't talked about it. I was thinking about inviting my mom. And I said, well, no, don't do that. Guys, that's a bad idea. And they both laughed. And I said, John, this is the quote. Get your mind out of the gutter. What do you think is going to happen between your grandparents? I don't know, but I don't want to find out. 
It's a bad idea. Don't invite them. Well, do you know something we don't know? And at that, I said, well, I mean, Pap's been asking about her. What's he asking? I don't know. I don't entertain the conversation. I don't want to. Well, we, we need to know. Is he interested? I don't care if he is. Stop. They did. They invited each other. And so they're walking up. Before you get on, you walk across the dock. You pose for a picture, snap, and you go. Well, when it came time for Grandma and Pap, they walk up. They pause for the picture. And in the pause for the picture, my grandfather put his arm around my grandmother and kind of did a little pull in. And my dad has had false teeth for as long as I've known him. And he used to tell the story that at that, his top tray just kind of went down. Like, what... John was right. What's happening here? And they began, <laughs> they began a relationship that night. Dating, well, they're older. We could say courting. It's okay. I don't know what, I don't know what you call it. Anyways. In a few months, they got married. Yeah, you can laugh. It's, I remember going back to college. We were just talking about this a little today. I remember going back to college and telling all my friends, like, this is a weird statement. Hey, guys, my grandparents got married. Great. They weren't before. Not these ones, no. <laughs> I remember sitting up one night. It was actually, truth be told, it was John and I. We were the only two in our room. And I remember sitting up one night trying to figure out how, like, what. It's weird. When you think about it, like, so that makes my mom, my stepmom, and my dad, like, they're step-siblings. Yeah, no, they're step-siblings. Like, that's. And so then all of my brothers and my sister, they're not just my brothers and my sister, they're also my cousins. Because my mom and dad would be my mom and dad, but also my aunt and my uncle. And then that goes all the way down. I'm actually related to myself as my own cousin. It's, it's a weird deal. It's a weird deal. I say that. My grandmother was a very godly Christian lady. She always taught Sunday school in our church. And she had been looking for, I say not actively, but she was prayerfully looking for someone for you. But my grandfather wasn't saved. She wouldn't have ever even entertained that. Uh, And so it always goes back in my family, jokingly, of course, and lovingly, if, if you wouldn't have been the one to lead him to Christ, this whole thing's your fault. You're the one that led him to the Lord. You're the one that got him to the point where he got saved. So no, no, I didn't invite either of them on a boat cruise they got super friendly. That wasn't me, okay? And I remember, man, in that situation, thinking, wow, this is this injury. I remember one point, I was telling John today, I remember one point I got in trouble at college. I had a big jacked up Chevy Silverado Z71. I had a lift kit. And I was always park it because I thought I was cool. The truck was way oversized for me. I get it. But I would always park with one tire up on the curb. It looked really dumb. But I thought it looked really cool. And um, I remember one day the dean of students coming to me and saying, Mr. Oliar, we need to talk. And I said, sure, what's going on? And he said, "Uh, you keep parking your truck in a way that isn't right, and I need to give you demerits. And I said, sir, i got to be honest with you. My cousin's doing that. And he said, John, it's your truck. And I said, I know. My cousin drives it everywhere he goes. And he said, I I really didn't know you had a cousin in school. How long has he been here? And I said, as long as I've been here. My cousin has been here. Uh, and he said, well, what's your cousin's last name? And I said, Oliar, same as mine. He said, well, you're the only Oliar I know in the school. And I said, yeah. And he said, what's your, Oli- what's your cousin's first name? I said, John. And he said, John, are you messing with me right now? I said, I'm really not. Um, I'm, I promise. I am my own cousin. And it was great because he said, come on, what's going on? And I said, I, and so I explained to him the whole story. My grandparents married each other. By the time I got done explaining the story, he forgot and never, got, never gave me demerits. It was perfect. But I look back at that, and from that, man, my grandfather stayed faithful to church for years. He was getting, growing in the Lord. He was uh, being discipled. He was learning the truths of God's word. I met my wife in college, Beth. I remember going to college and thinking, I, I'm not going to lie to you. I, there were I had I had interest in a couple of girls in college. Nothing was going right. It was going wrong. I remember having a conversation with a friend of mine the week going into my senior year. I remember having a conversation with Doug. I could take you to the spot. We had the conversation. I said, Doug, I'm focusing on God and God alone this semester. This is I 
this is a true statement. I said, I don't even care if, and I said my wife's name by name, I don't even care if Beth Clayton wants to date me. I'm not dating her. I got to school. I got to school early before school started. And a friend called me up. He said, hey, man, I'm going on a date with this girl. She has a twin sister. Do you want a double date? And I said, uh, who's it with? He said, Beth Clayton. And I said, come on. He said, what? I said, literally yesterday, I just said, I'm not dating anyone. I don't even care if it's Beth Clayton. I said it by name. He goes, well, I, I promise this is a real thing. I'm not playing a practical joke on you. I'm not. So I said, I'll do one date, but I'm not dating her. And so we did one on one date. And then I ignored her for four months. It got to the point where she, she, she knew John and I were friends. And at one point, she walked right up to him. She pointed at me from across the, the big hall. In the, in the, she looked right, and she pointed. She goes, he's nothing but a punk. Thanks, ma'am. What she didn't know was that I had one roommate at the time. John was that one roommate. So John, of course, comes right back. He goes, hey, man, guess who I talked to? I said, I have no idea. I said, I t- I, Beth just came up and talked to me. I was like, oh, really? Like, what'd she say? You're a punk. Dude, what's that? I don't know. What's, I, that? So I, next time I saw her, I saw, like, I'm a punk? What's that all about? What? And in time, I did. We began to pray about it. And in time, we began to date. We eventually got married. We have two children. I'm bringing this full circle here. We have two children. Clayton is my son's name. He was born on Halloween. Weird birthday, but that's what we were dealt. And then I have a daughter. Her name's Crystal. I, I can tell you right now that I wouldn't be who I am today. I wouldn't be where I am today without a godly young lady who in her teens honored her mom and dad enough to listen and adhere to their rules. A, a young lady <laughs> who all of these years later is still investing in my life. Two years ago, my wife bought me an Ancestry DNA kit for Christmas. There's two parts of Ancestry DNA. There's a side where they will tell you, they'll, they'll give you a map of where your DNA is from all over the United States. That's why she bought me the DNA kit. There's lots of rumors that have always been flying around of my lineage and what ethnicity I am. She thought maybe this would help. The other side, she had no idea about. That's a kind of a memory bank of DNA. I did the DNA kit, came back, did the test, it came back. <laughs> I looked at the map and thought, wow, that's kind of neat. Found out, got some confirmation. <laughs> Might not look it, but got the confirmation. Um, I've always been told that I am... I am Caucasian and some part of me African American. The DNA kit confirmed that. Thought, well, that's interesting. Then I saw this tab, so I clicked it and it said, You have a high match. Suggestion is that this is your sister. I looked at it and I thought, Well, she kind of looks like me. I've never seen anybody in my life that looked like me in 32 years. Aside from my two children, I've never seen anybody that looked like me. And so I thought, oh boy, okay, all right, uh, what do I do? So I, you know, I email her right away. Hey, Ancestry says we're related. I'm trying to be vague. I don't know what she knows. I don't know anything. I, hey, Ancestry says we're related. I don't know how. Maybe you do. Send. She emails back. Interesting. Let's figure this thing out. Do you know your mother's name? I'm telling, like these, this was like multiple messages. Interesting. Let's figure it out. Send. Do you know your mother's name? Send. Do you know where you were born? Send. What's your phone number? Send. How can I contact you? Send. And I didn't see any of these because they were sent. Boom, boom, boom. And then Facebook Messenger begins to ring on my phone. I look down and I'm going, huh, 
that looks like the girl I found on Ancestry. Do you answer it? What, like, I was remodeling a youth room in our church at the moment. I was like, well, better either now or never. So I slide, hello. I think you're my brother. Yeah, I think you're my sister. How? What do you know? I don't know anything. I, I was adopted. Know that much. I don't know anything else. In time, I end up finding out that I have, I'm, I'm actually the oldest of five. Now, put this all together. When pastors come, youth speakers come, and they say, who's an only child? I raise my hand. When I was adopted, I was adopted to be an only child. Me. When they say, who's the youngest? I was raised the young. Me. I, I mean, I was raised the youngest of four. Who's the oldest? Me, because I'm the oldest in that. Who's a middle child? Well, technically, if you put them all together, me. I'm all of a, It's a weird. Here's why this song means so much to me. I've said all of that to bring you to this. Two years ago, I found out why I was put up for adoption. My mom was raised a pastor's daughter. Church of God. Her father passed away when she was 10, but the family upbringing was very much still that of a pastor's home. She had siblings. She went off to college. While at college, she was sexually assaulted. Shortly thereafter, she found out she was pregnant. Now, I understand even then this is talking in the 80s, and and, and I know that, I understand that. (laughs) But even then, there were options on the table for her. And I will forever be grateful for the choice that she made when she chose life. I will forever be grateful for the choice she made when she chose adoption. First time I ever met her, that's all I could say. And I said it over and over and over and over. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I I don't know what else to say, but thank you. You're not mad? No, thank you. You could have done anything else. You could have done whatever else, but you chose to carry me. You you chose to give birth to me. uh, You're not mad at the upbringing you had? No, I'm I'm thankful for life. Now, now, I I say that. I am nothing special, and, and I... I was very hesitant to share this testimony. I, I really think in the song and, and just there is nothing at all special about John Oliar. Nothing. I am a product of God's grace and nothing more. There's no, But I, I do look, if I can say this from a third person perspective, I really genuinely feel God's calling on my life to preach. And I think of Paul's words, woe unto me, if I don't do it. I I look, I serve in a church, I've served in a church in Ashland, Ohio for 10 years. I'm now a youth pastor. I've I've served for several years in our church and I I watch and I, I have to think, man, God is allowing me to impact the lives of those young people. There's nothing special about me, but God is allowing me to work in their lives. Why? Because God's been good. My mother chose to give life. I look at my own two children. And I think of that. That one, that one's a little more surreal for me. Those are two human lives, two human lives that without me wouldn't exist. Both of them, seven and eight, know Christ as their Lord and Savior. They're on their way to heaven. To God be the glory for that. And, and I think, listen, how do you say in so many circumstances, that that God has been good, because He is. We serve a God, as His promise says, He'll never leave us, He'll never forsake us. The same year that I met my biological mom, my dad had a massive heart, heart attack and entered into heaven. I remember planning out the funeral service, and my stepmom gave me full reign. You plan the service, you do whatever you want, 
And there was one song that I wanted sung at my father's funeral. God's been good. I remember getting up afterwards and there was some odd looks on people's faces. We're at a funeral and we just heard a song, God's been good. I want to for a moment say, if you know Christ is your Savior in this room tonight, there's no way you can deny God's goodness in your life. There are ups and downs, there's valleys, there's tragedies, there's heartaches, but through it all, God's been good. The message I was looking to preach tonight, I was going to look at Mark chapter 4, 5, and 6. It was going to be a single point message. Only believe. That was the title of my message and the only point. Only believe. I was going to set you up to think it was a really short message, but then I was going to cover three chapters. What I love about Mark chapter 4, 5, and 6 is it is an action-packed story, one after another. Mark chapter 4, you get to the end of Mark chapter 4, Jesus is calming the storm of the sea. You go into Mark chapter 5, and immediately, the Bible actually uses that word, immediately, as they docked their boat after the storm, the Bible says, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. Think about, think about the disciples. The disciples are going, can you believe what just happened? I've never seen anybody calm the storm before. Can you, can you imagine the disciples talking, probably whispering behind Christ, I've never seen that before. What in the world? What's that all about? And then Peter's going, I have no idea. I, that's, I, unbelievable. Did you, I mean, and as they're talking, they're docking, they're tying up the boat, they're talking, and a man jumps out. The Bible says, jumps, met him immediately. What we know of him, he had broken fetters, he had broken chains, so they're probably hanging off of him. What we know of him, he's not clothed. What we know of him is that he's not in his right mind. And the Bible says the first thing he did was fall at Jesus' feet. So the disciples are tying up, I've never seen anything like that. And they hear, and they turn around and there's this crazy naked man running after Jesus. And they're probably going, Jesus, no, come here. No, Jesus, oh, what, what's going on? And he falls right at Jesus' feet. And the demons cry out, saying, be kind to us. And Jesus says, I'm paraphrasing, Jesus says, okay. And he casts out the demons into 2,000 pigs. And, and then they run off a cliff. Could you imagine? I don't, I don't know what it's called, but somebody was tending to those pigs. I don't know if it's a pig shepherd, herder. I don't know. Can you imagine being that guy? You have one job. Watch the pigs. What are they going to do? I don't know. Just watch them. And you're standing there watching, and it's like this waterfall of pigs just going off the cliff. You're going, they're never going to believe this. And just From there, he says to Jesus, listen, the, the town people get mad, and they say, you've got to leave. And he says, Jesus, let me go with you. And he says, no, you have a story to tell. Now go tell it. Can I tell you, listen, I'm just sharing with you a little bit of my story, but if you know Christ is your Savior and you're in this room tonight, you have a story to tell. And the same commandment that Jesus gave to him, he's giving to you and to me tonight. You've got a story to tell. The same hesitations I had when it came to sharing the gospel with my grandfather, I get it, you have those same hesitations, but can I assure you tonight, it's worth it to share the gospel of Christ. Oh, the pigs run off the cliff. The Bible says Jesus gets on a boat. He goes to another city. The Bible says immediately when he got there, Jairus, a publican, a well-known person, comes to Jesus and says, my daughter is sick and I need you to heal her. Jesus says, okay, lead the way. As they're walking there, my favorite story in all the Bible is they're walking there. A woman who had been sick for 12 years, the Bible said she spent all she had. She tried absolutely everything to get healed and nothing worked. Her faith led her to reach out and only touch the hem of his garment. And the Bible says, straightway, she was healed. The very next verse says, and immediately, knowing that virtue had gone out of him, he turned to her. And he says, who touched me? Now, get this. He, he turned and he said, who touched me? I think in that moment, he locked eyes with her. Who touched me? <laughs> and the disciples say, Jesus, you see all these people around you and you want to ask, who touched you? Oh, but he knew. And you know who else knew? She knew. He says to her, daughter, go in peace. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Oh, what a story. She never gave up. Listen, if there's one thing in my flesh that I can't stand, it's quitters. And part of why I love that story is she had every reason to quit, but she never did. While he says to her, daughter, go in peace. Thy faith hath made thee whole. 
a servant comes from Jairus' house. Remember, they were on their way to Jairus' house. This is all happening from Mark 4. Now we're in Mark 5. A servant comes from Jairus' house, looks at Jairus and says, Jairus, your daughter, she died. We read in the Bible that the servant was talking to Jairus. Jairus never gives a response. We don't read of Jairus' response. What we read is Christ's response to Jairus' message. When Jairus, get this, please get this. When Jairus got bad news, you know who was already there right beside Jairus? Jesus Christ. He was already there. And he's the one that answered the servant, and his answer was this. Don't be afraid. I'm quoting, don't be afraid, only believe. Don't be afraid, only believe. Take me to the house. They get to the house. Jesus walks in the house. There's people everywhere. In fact, the Bible says as they were approaching the house, you could hear people weeping inside. They get to the house. Jesus walks in the room and he says, why is everybody so sad? She's just sleeping. They laugh at him. They mock him. They make fun of him. And they say, clearly she's dead. He kicks them all out of the room. He leaves his disciples. He leaves mama. He leaves daddy in the room. He prays over her. She comes to life. This is how you know she was, the Bible says she was 12 years old. This is how you know she was a teenager. The first commandment that Christ gave when she came back to life, get this girl something to eat. She's a teenager. Now, get this. I'm tying this in with my testimony, and I promise I'm wrapping it up. His command was, don't be afraid, only believe. Can we go back to Mark chapter 4 just for a moment? You're going to have storms in your life. Don't be afraid, only believe. You're going to have some craziness that comes into your life, and you're going to wonder, what in the world do I do with this? Hey, don't be afraid, only believe. You may even have some sickness that enters into your home and into your family. How do you conquer that? How do you get beyond that? What do you do in that moment? Christ's words were, don't be afraid, only believe. Oh, but there's going to be moments in your life, as in my own I've shared, where you're looking at death, and you see how it comes into a family, and it affects a family, and it affects a home, and you're wondering through the grief and through the moments of heartache, what do I do? Don't be afraid, only believe. One of the saddest chapters in all the Bible is Mark chapter 6. After Christ just did all the miracles I'm telling you about right now, the Bible says he went back to his own country. He went back to his hometown. And this is what the Bible says about when Christ went to his hometown. He could there do no mighty work because of their unbelief. I say tonight, may it never be said of us, God was going to do something big in your life. But because of your unbelief, he did nothing. Can I say to you tonight, listen, I love reading Mark chapter 4, Mark chapter 5, where one thing after another, Christ is just doing miracles. And it's exciting to read. And you're thinking, what's going to happen next? Why did all that happen? Well, we read in Mark chapter 5, Christ says to his disciples, why are you so fearful? And he asks them this question, where is your faith? Where's your faith? He says to the woman who touched him, Go in peace, thy faith hath made thee whole. Can I say this? And I'm done. You have a story to tell. I, I lived 32 years with, without knowing a big part of my story. I lived 32 years without meeting anybody I was biologically related to. And I think, man, God opened my eyes to realize... <laughs> God's been good the whole time, but I didn't even know the biggest part of the story. The question, the question when it comes to, I don't want to dive too deep into it, the question when it comes to abortion that everybody wants to stump everybody with. Well, yeah, yeah, I mean, don't do abortion, but what about, what just, let me, what about in the case where someone might be raped? Like that, I mean, when I get the question now, Kind of, not in a smart aleck. I'm not trying. Hi, that's me. I'm nothing and I'm a nobody, but God is using me to be a pastor at a church. God God has allowed me to lead people to the Lord. Guys, and there's nothing in my own merits, nothing. Listen, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. 
But can I tell you, the best of my ability and the best that I can, I try to live the Christian life with faith. I don't want to be like someone that we see in Mark chapter 6 where God couldn't do anything because I was unbelieving. I want to be someone, as Christ said, don't be afraid, only believe. Listen, I'm a father of two. For those who are parents and grandparents in this room tonight, enter with me into the mind of Jarius. Jarius just got word, your daughter's dead. Christ looks at him and says, don't be afraid, only believe. And they still have a bit of a walk. I don't know how long, but they still have a bit of a walk to get to Jerry's home. What was running through Jerry's mind? I like to think, I have no idea. I like to think every step he took, he was running Christ's words in his mind. Don't be afraid, only believe. Don't be afraid. Only believe. Don't be afraid. Only believe. They get to the house. Now Jerry hears his wife inside moaning and crying and screaming out. Don't be afraid. Only believe. Don't be afraid. Only believe. They get into the room. People are making fun of Christ. We don't read that Jerry has ever said a word. We don't read it. Don't be afraid. Only believe. I say to you, in the hard moments of your life, especially when it comes to witnessing to a loved one, and you think, man, they're going to get mad at me. They're going to disown me. They're going to hate me. I don't know what they're going to do. Can I leave you with this encouragement tonight? Don't be afraid. Only believe. Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity to be here tonight, to share your word, to preach the gospel. Lord, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your working in our hearts and in our lives. God, I I know tonight I went in several different directions. God, I pray that the words that were spoken, God, that you would use them, that you would draw people closer to you. Lord, I pray in this very moment that if there's someone here that may not know you as Savior, that tonight would be the night they place their faith and trust in you. But God, I also pray tonight that for those who are in this room, if someone is on their heart and someone is on their mind in this very moment that they need to witness to, God, I pray that they would give it over to you a commitment to share the gospel with those in need. Lord, I pray that you would help each and every one of us to share our story. We may not know the exact words to say, the exact verses to go to, but God, we can share our story of how you changed our lives. pray that you would grant the boldness to do just that. In your name I do pray. With heads bowed.